Wow. The future is good, Liverpool won. I watched that and um, honestly, it makes me well up because there are so many different people that have come and joined the journey of the life of church at so many different venues that have just been depicted. But it is true, as we look back, we can take great strength in knowing that God is faithful and where he's taken us to is gonna be way bigger, way better, all that has been before because the future really is. Is good. You know, I'm a dad, right? And I think that some of you in this auditorium today will be fathers too. And um, there kind of comes a point in your life where you feel the need to kind of keep your street cred with your kids. You kind of feel like, you know, you don't want to be the daggy dad. You don't want to be that guy. So you were cool once and you try and fight the losing battle of trying to always consistently presenting as though you are cool to your kids. Now, I've done this through many ways, but more recently, I've decided just by virtue of the fact of maybe being out and about sometimes, you know, there's been a couple of opportunities where I've been able to get, you know, a selfie with someone whom I think my kids will really respect. Like if I were to get a selfie of someone and then send them that image and then they would be like, wow, this is incredible. So like one time I got a selfie with Philip Coutinho before he went and transferred over to Barcelona. Another time with James Milner and Jordan Henderson and a couple of the football players that I know my kids all love, right? Because I want to be cool with my kids. I want my kids to think, you know, yeah, he's a cool kind of guy. So this week, right, I was at a breakfast meeting, and literally, whilst we were sat there having a coffee, one of the guys I was with turns around and says to me, like, who is that group of people over there? They were all wearing red tracksuits. They had the great big Virgin Media uh, sponsorship emblem on one side and then a crest on the other. And I was trying to look closely at who the crest was depicting. It was obviously a sports team, but I was thinking, is this like rugby league? Is it a football team? Who is it? And they were all going through to this VIP area where they were all having their breakfast. And then about 30 minutes later or so, one guy wearing the red tracksuit with the Virgin Media emblem and this uh, iconic badge on the right-hand side, he walked out and I instantly recognized him, right? It was Danny Ings, who previously played for Liverpool and has now transferred over to Southampton, but England under-23 international, loved by every Burnley fan on the planet. So I, I literally, I saw him and I was like, hey, Danny, Danny, can I just grab a selfie? And then I went, you know, and told him the line that I tell everybody, which is kind of like, it's for my boys. And I know that he's looking there thinking like, no, it's not, this is for you. So I'm like, well, whatever, can I get a selfie with you? And he was awesome, really polite, came straight over. and I took this selfie and he went his way and I just carried on with my meeting, right? But literally I was so excited that I got a photograph with someone who I thought my boys would think is just so cool. I literally, I got straight in the group message and I sent my three boys this image. And this is what I sent them. This is me and Danny. This is me and the main man. And I was just, I don't know, I was expecting that I'd get some sort of like, I don't know, affirmation. I was expecting that at some point, you know, they're just going to come back and be like, wow, this is incredible. Two of my boys didn't even bother responding. I mean, like literally not interested. One of them replies, and this is what he said. 
can't believe you actually got a photo with the Virgin Media guy. I'm like, no, no, this is supposed to elevate me to hero status in your eye. And he's just like, nah, he sucks. He plays for Southampton now, not interested. You're going to have to do better than that. But, but here's the thing, right? As a dad, I was trying to do the right thing, but obviously just going about it the wrong way. As a dad, I was trying to do something that I thought was the right way to kind of build and increase some relational capital with them, but obviously misunderstanding the moment, going about it completely the wrong way. You know, I think this is something that every single one of us has all got in common, really. We've all at some point experienced what it's like to go about trying to do the right thing, but we realize we're going about it in all the wrong way. And it can happen in so many platforms of our life, right? I mean, just think about this for a moment. What about relationally? Have you ever had a picture in your mind's eye about how your marriage might work out? Have you ever had a dream that you're holding on to about how things might work out between you and your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your fiance, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, this could be awesome, and you can see a picture of where you want to be. You can see like a roadmap in your mind about where you want to get to, but it just feels to you at times like it doesn't kind of matter what you do or how you go about doing it. You're trying to do the right thing, which is build relationship, but it just feels like you keep going about it in all the wrong ways. It's frustrating, right? It happens financially in many people's homes, marriages, lives all the time too. We can have a dream about where we want to be financially. We can have a picture in our mind about where we want to get to. What's our financial plan going to look like? And then we set about trying to implement all of these plans and tasks and all of these ideas, but it can often end up just feeling like we're not making any progress at all. We're trying to do the right thing, make a strong, healthy financial future, but it feels like we're just going about it in all the wrong way. If we're really honest, when we talk about following Jesus, when we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about being involved in the life of a church and trying to earnestly pursue God in a real and authentic way, I think that's where most of us make the same mistake too, all of the time. We've kind of got this idea in our mind's eye about how we want to be with God. Like, we've got this idea that, that maybe one day we'll experience God's peace and God's presence in our life, His helping hand at work on every level and in every season of our world. And we've got an idea about how it could be, but often it feels like we're going about trying to do a right thing, but the wrong way. We don't always know what the right way would be. And what you find is the longer that that goes on, feeling like everybody else has got this relationship with God thing going on, but it just intensifies your own feelings of inadequacy because it feels to you like, I just can't seem to get where everybody else seems to be in terms of their relationship with God. The longer it goes on, the more frustrating it becomes. The longer it goes on, the harder it is even to believe that your relationship with God can really be what you once thought and hoped it could be. You know, as a follower of Jesus, I'm absolutely convinced that when you choose to become a Christian, Following Jesus absolutely makes your life better, and it makes you better at life. Probably more the latter, actually. I am convinced of that with all of my heart. I really am. But one of the most interesting things that you find when you read Scripture, when you read through the Bible, and you start to spend some moments just to try and study and understand who Jesus really was, what you can actually find is that when you read the stories, he really didn't gravitate towards the people you would have expected him to hang out with all the time. 
What you find is that Jesus did not gravitate towards religious people at all. In fact, Jesus was so comfortable in and around the presence of people who weren't even churchy people. You know, the Gospels just recount so many stories where Jesus would go around and time and time again, it tells us how the crowds of people would follow Jesus because they would be so intimately interested in what Jesus had to say and what Jesus had to teach. They were intrigued by him. But the fact that all of these crowds would hang around Jesus, it tells us two things. It tells us that people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus And it also tells us that Jesus liked them back. These crowds, they were people that were nothing like Jesus, and they liked him. And Jesus liked them back. And yet, this can sometimes for us feel like there's a huge disconnect. Because when you read the scriptures and you see about all these people always wanting to be around Jesus, and then you kind of transport that into our year today in our city, in our Western culture, when you think about Christianity and when you think about church, you can kind of make the disconnect of not really seeing that happen all that often. I mean, people that were nothing like Jesus love to be around Jesus. But why is it in our churches today, people who are nothing like Jesus don't feel comfortable to come into the life of a church? Like, what's that about? Because they were not a problem to Jesus. I mean, Now, when people often come into church, what they experience is a language that makes no sense at all. What they experience is music that is hundreds of years old. They experience church rituals that are way more significant than any kind of earnest interest in creating relationships with real people. It all can just seem a little weird. And that's just me being honest. And I find the same thing as you do too. It can at times seem a little weird. But you know, I believe that because of the way Jesus was with the crowd, that that there is the picture of how we need to be as the church. The way in which people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and Jesus liked them back is exactly the kind of church that we need to create and continue to create in all that is ahead of us and in all that is in our future right here at Liverpool One Church. And I don't think it's a problem It's not an issue if people come to church who maybe even don't believe the same thing as you. It wasn't a problem for Jesus, so it can't be a problem for us. And it's okay if people don't always agree on the same principles and theology and maybe even don't behave in the same way that you behave. It wasn't a problem for Jesus, so it can't be a problem for us here at Liverpool One Church. You know, since day one, since the very moment that we walked into this great big old warehouse and had dreams about turning the whole thing around, we were committed that we were going to create and build a place that really was about everyone. That's why we put it on the wall. So it's the first thing that you see, the first thing that you notice when you leave this auditorium is that you know what we are about right here at Liverpool One Church. We're about everyone. In fact, I'd go so far as to say What we're trying to do, and we've been trying to do this since day one, but we're going to continue to do this in all of our future, is we're going to try to resist all of the things that makes church resistible. (laughs) Because there are many reasons why church becomes resistible to your friends and your family. Well, we are strategically trying to figure out what they are, and we're looking to remove them. Because we don't want people to feel, who come into maybe Liverpool One Church for the first or second time, We don't want you or them to feel like that this is their thing. 
Because that's not the way that it is, because what you call their thing, we want to be our thing together. Our thing is your thing. That's the way we see this thing working. But if we're honest, it's not always easy to do, and it doesn't always seem like it's the easiest path to take. If we're honest, there's so many people that are earnestly seeking and striving to figure out how they can live right with God and are trying to do it by many different ways, but often they're kind of doing the right thing, but doing it in the wrong way or in the wrong order. And as far as their faith life goes, it just feels like this thing isn't working for them. It just feels to them like, well, it's something that they should give up all hope on. And yet, when you get back to Jesus and how he was in the Gospels, you see that that was the furthest thing from his thinking. I mean, there are so many stories that we could talk about, but perhaps one of the best-known stories, and even if you're not a church person uh, with us here today, firstly, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you have a great time. We hope that you're made to feel like this really could be a place for you to call home to. But maybe even if you've not done the whole church thing before, perhaps this story that I'm going to recount right now is something that you're even familiar with because it's quite a famous story. And it's found in many Gospels, but in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, in my Bible, it's actually subheaded the story of the prodigal son. And this story is basically about a guy who turns around to his dad one day, and, and there's a conversation, and it's a bit of a crazy conversation. It's even crazier when we understand the, the culture that he was living in. But, but what happens is when he goes to this, this father, he turns around and he says, uh, hey, dad, the thing is, um, there's a problem because you're still alive, and whilst you're alive, I'm not receiving any of the inheritance that I'm due. And this is a problem for me, Dad, because like, I've got plans. I've got dreams, Dad. I've got aspirations. I've got goals. And, and I would love to go and accomplish all of my goals. I would really love to go and pursue all of my dreams, but there's a problem right now, and the problem is, is that you just won't die, Dad. If you would only die, then I'd be able to take and acquire all of my inheritance. You could just split it 50-50, some to my brother, some to me. I could go and have a great time. And, and it just basically recounts this story of a really messed up, broken relationship of a kid turning around to his dad, and he's just like, Dad, I've got no time for you anymore. I've got no respect for you anymore. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I just want what's mine, and you keep living. And that infuriates me. People think, actually, that this is a story about a relationship that breaks down at the point of this conversation. But I actually think that this is a story about a relationship that was well broken before this conversation ever ensued. I mean, this conversation just highlights how messed up this relationship was between this son and his father. And the picture that Jesus is painting is this is exactly how it is often between us and our Father God, maker of heaven and earth also. He's kind of saying the relationship is broke. This is the kid who's just not engaged with the father. He walks around with his earphones in all of the time. He'd rather be around his friends online than ever with real friends or real family. He's disconnected with his dad at the dinner table. With his mom, there's never any conversation. And all the time, he's just thinking, you know what? Mom, dad, if you would just kind of die, if you would just kind of sell the house, you could rent somewhere and give me the money, everything would just be so much better. It's a, it's a broken, messed up relationship. And the story goes on because the dad is so intentional about somehow figuring out the quickest and the shortest route back to having a strong relationship with his son. 
Right at this moment, though, when Jesus is telling this story and people are hearing about this kid going to his dad and saying, I want my money, one of the things that I think that would have just absolutely have shocked every person that was in the crowd that day is this whole idea that actually they saw that the father loved his son by virtue of the fact that he was willing to give him his inheritance before he died, even more than his own reputation. That would have freaked everybody out. That was the moment where you'd have heard a pin drop. Everybody would have gasped. They would have been like, wow, are you for real? Because this song's rebellious. And Levitical law found in the Old Testament, it would talk about how if you've got a rebellious son, then really you need to stone him. Because if you don't stone him, then you're going to look like a fool to everybody. And everybody in this crowd that was listening to this story that Jesus was talking to all would have thought that this man, this father was a fool because he wasn't dealing with his rebellious Son, the crowd was silent at the fact that the dad was willing to lose everything to take the shortest route back to seeing a restoration of relationship between him and the son. So the story goes, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but, you know, the kid, he takes all of his money. His dad's willing to cash in some of his inheritance, and he just goes and lives at large. I mean, he goes and he gets the penthouse on the docks. He gets the BMW M3 with the leather sports bucket seats. He goes and does the casinos. He plays the drink games. He plays the drug games. He does the girls. He does everything. He's into prostitutes. He's into partying. Everything just goes crazy for this son for a season. He is living at large. He's now living in the fulfillment of the dream that he thought he earnestly wanted. But eventually, the story goes, the overwhelming realization descends upon him that he's just like, you know what? Now everything's gone. Now all the money's been spent. There's just like no relationship with my dad anymore. Now he's spent up, he's without a job, without a place to live. He realizes how ruined his relationship is. And now he starts to think, hmm, I'm missing home. But he starts to wonder, is home missing me? He takes a job and he works for some farming guy and he's cleaning out these pigs. And all the time he's he's doing his daily routine, he's going about his job, but he's missing home, wondering, is home missing me. I think there were so many people that were in the crowd when Jesus was speaking on that day right then that would have just been freaked out by that because they too would have been able to relate to the story. They too would have understood that this son would feel like he could never return home. They understood that they They understood that the son would feel like he could never return to the father's house because he spent everything that the father has given him. I mean, not only has he spent his father's money, he's probably spent generational wealth too. Maybe the money that his father gave to the son was money that he received when his father passed. I mean, we don't know, but maybe he's blown not only his father's money, but the entire family's money. So everybody is now just taking a gasp at the thought of, well, there's no way back for this kid. There's no way back. The relationship could never be restored, right? So now in this audience, they're all probably thinking the same thing now. Yeah, I I see your point there, Jesus. Like if I were to want to get back into a relationship with God in the same way that the son wanted to get back into a relationship with the father, I mean, yeah, I wonder whether that would even be possible. But I wonder whether God would even know that I'm not even in relationship with him in the first place. 
Like they might miss the relationship with God, but not even realize that God is missing that. This son was doing that all the time, wondering, is home missing him? So verse 17 in Luke 15 comes around, and this kid, he creates a plan. And it's not a particularly great plan. It's a great plan for us to talk about as being right idea, but the wrong way about it. And this is what he decides he's now going to do, that he realizes his life is in complete ruins. Verse 17 says this, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And you see, this is where he kind of tries to do the right thing, but the wrong way. And we do this all the time. He's now decided, actually, I am lost without a relationship with my dad. So I'm going to try somehow and get back in the house. Somehow I'm going to try and get back in relationship with the father. But now he starts to think and overwork and overthink everything. Now he's thinking, well, there's no way I could go back as his son because I've destroyed that right, really. But what I could do is I could go back and say to him, I could just be a servant in your house and everything would be great. You could pay me a tiny wage because even the poorest kept servants in your house are treated way better than things are working out for me now. He's trying to do the right thing, get back in relationship, but he's going about it the wrong way. And we do this all the time. We try and get back in relationship with God, but we think about it often in the wrong way. Many people say, you know what, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to say the prayer, but I'm going to do it when I'm older. (laughs) I'm going to do it when I've had a really great time, a crazy life, got all of my sinning out of my system, when I've gone and just been crazy for a couple of decades. I'm going to do it right then. I'm going to kind of do it right on my deathbed. I'm going to get right with God. Other people say, well, you know what? I'm going to do it at a time in my life when there's just less pressure. Other people, though, they say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get right with God. But first, I've just got to make me a little bit better. First, I've got to fix me. First, I've got to get me sorted. And and once I'm sorted, then yeah, I'm open to the Christianity conversation. Once I get me good, then I'll try and impress God with my goodness. At that point, I'm going to try and reach out to God. Thing is, when we do that, we're trying to do the right thing, but just in completely the wrong order. You know, I don't know what you love, but every single one of us have got hobbies, right? But one of the things that I have loved and I've loved since I was small, right, is I love music. In fact, you know, when I was a kid, I don't really do it now, but when I was much younger, I used to play music. I loved play some drums, play some keyboards, play some guitar. It was just heaps of fun. But the problem with me when it comes to playing music is I was really good at just learning songs. I mean, like I could learn how to play the song, but the problem is, is that I could never really fully understand how to play the music. And there's always a difference. Some people like me are more of a busker. We play songs, but really well-trained people like Sammy B over here is, is way more of a musician because not only can they play songs, but they, they can understand the theory and the structure and the reasons why things have a particular order and a particular sequence. I mean, like, when I see Sammy play, when I 
Here, Sammy play, it kind of frustrates me because I wish that I was just way better at playing on the keyboard like she is pretty amazing playing on the keyboard. In fact, can you do me a favor? I know I'm putting on you on the spot a little bit. Can you just kind of like, I don't know, play something cool, play a scale, just kind of impress us all for a moment. Do something that's true, right, and proper. Oh, you see, you're making me sick, Sammy. Just stop. It's, like, it's just annoying when, when it kind of goes that way. You're making me sick, Sammy. But, but okay, so, so that sounds pretty cool. That sounds, that sounds very nice, very eloquent. But can you just do me a favor? Can you just play me something? Play me whatever you want. I don't care. Just play me something. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, play that again for me. Okay, so let's do this. Let's try and play the same notes, but I want you to play them in a different order. So same notes, but different order. Do that one more time for me. Okay, let's do this. So you've got a really super cool red-looking keyboard, and um, that looks way more impressive than than your piano sounds. So that looks like a spaceship to me. Just, just make it sound amazing. I don't know, like make it sound like an electric guitar, put some delay, some effects on it. Just make it sound really cool and then play the same thing. Now we're talking. That's better. Rocktober's coming, that's much better. Okay, so play that again for me. Okay, play it again. Okay, so now keep playing that, but I want you to just kind of like loop it for me. That's it, quicker. Keep going. Keep going. Minus six. Now we're talking. Let's go to four. Go to five. And now we go back to one. Now bring your left hand in, playing on one. Now we're sounding like something that sounds much better. Minus six, we're going up. That's better, so I like this. Foot. Back to one. Every breath you take. See, you know the song. See, I know this now. Okay, so keep going. I like it, keep going. Come on, you can help me too, so you give me some drums, okay? Now this is where the white people sing police and the black dudes sing puffy. Now we're talking. Every nice. Same notes, different order. Same notes, different sequence. Now I like it. Okay, so guys, you can stop because Rocktober doesn't start till next week, but thank you, I appreciate it. But you see they're playing the same notes but with a completely different order. And sometimes that's exactly what we've got to do when we're understanding how our relationship with our Father in heaven really works because we're trying to go about it in a way that we think is right, but we're going about it in the wrong order. Let me show you how, right? This is what the verse goes on to say. So the kid, the boy, he's got the plan now, right? He's gonna go home. He's got his sorry speech all rehearsed. He's going home to his dad and he's gonna give him this speech 
change about that. I'm not going to be your son anymore because I know I've ruined that. I know I've destroyed that. So will you just let me stay in the house? I'll live in the shed. I'll live in the yard. I'll just be the guy that serves on you. Will you let me be that? And this is what he says. So he makes a decision that he's going to try and do what he thinks is right, but he's going about it in such the wrong way. He says this, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Isn't it great that the Father's always looking for the one that's returning home? Isn't it great that the Father maybe sat out on the porch of his house? It tells him that he could see him whilst he was still a long way off, that the Father is looking for those that are trying to go about things in a right way, but albeit sometimes in a wrong way. God's looking for people that are trying to get back into relationship with him and it goes on and he says and while he's still a long way off his father saw him but it says filled with and you've got to understand that when Jesus is speaking with the crowd whatever Jesus now tells the crowd that the father is filled with is a game changer it's a game changer for everybody in the crowd because he's talking now about the emotion that the father is feeling towards his son that has caused him so much shame and hardship and hurt and embarrassment. And there are so many things that Jesus could have used as a describing word to just denote what the father was thinking and feeling at the moment that he saw his son returning. He could have said many things. He could have said feeling or filled with anger. That would have made sense. He could have said filled with resentment. That would have made sense. He could have said feeling bitterness. I mean, this son has been misbehaving incredibly badly towards his dad. I mean, could you really do anything worse to your own blood father? That would have been completely justified. Could have said filled with disappointment. You know that feeling that you get when you're just so disappointed, you're just numb, you're just like, whatever. That would have been a completely justifiable emotion that Jesus could have said the father was feeling at the point at which he saw his son returning home from a long way off. But he didn't choose to use any of those words. But whatever words Jesus did use was gonna be a game changer for everybody in the crowd that was listening on that day and for every single one of us that's listening on this day. Because the same thing that the father felt back then is the same thing that the father feels today and it tells us that he was filled with love and compassion. Love and compassion to the most undeserving of sons. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran, <laughs> he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. He ran, there was no delay, there was no waiting by the Father to receive an explanation or an apology or some kind of reiteration of the facts and about where things went wrong and how things broke down. It just wasn't what the Father did. He ran to His Son to welcome Him home and embrace Him and love Him and kiss Him. The story goes on and it's so cool because you can just find it. You can download the Bible app, gate, uh, Bible Gateway app and you can just find Luke 15 and you can read this story for yourself and it's just an incredible story of how the father then goes on to call him a son. He gives him a ring. He gives him a robe. He brings him out and they have a great big party. But sometimes 
we don't think that God's willing to do that for us. What we do is what we say is, I'll get right with God when I'm right. I'll get right with God when I'm in a better place in my life. I'll get right with God when I'm not doing what I'm doing anymore. I'll get right with God when I'm in a better place with that person, when I'm not doing that, when I'm not going there. I'll do it at that point, but I wanna say, hey, listen, you don't have to do that at all. Because if you're trying to do the right thing, don't go about doing it the wrong way. If you wanna do the right thing, do the right thing in the right order. And the right thing in the right order, according to this story, is you come exactly as you are. Messed up, broken up, ruined destroyed on the inside, feeling maybe like God would never look your way, that's exactly who the Father is looking for, filled with love and compassion. It's exactly who the Father runs towards. You see, God is always ready to react to you in your greatest hour of need, always ready, always willing. Our Father is always ready to reappoint you to whatever position maybe you've previously held in the Father's household. Maybe you're the guy or the girl in church today and you've just been running from God. You've done church, but now you've spent seasons away from doing life in relationship with God. Well, I want you to know today's your day to come home because God will not only see you with love and compassion, but He reappoints you to the place in the house that you once previously had. Our God is always ready to revitalize even the hurtest and the most tiredest of souls. That's who He is. And we have a God who is willing and waiting right now. He's ready because He's scanning the horizon for people that are willing to run home. And you can choose to run home. You can choose to return home. And you don't have to do anything other than be willing to come back to the Father who when you're wondering, is the Father missing you? He is looking for you, filled with love and compassion. So you too can really be full of faith and expectance that your future in God really is good. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. 